0: It's two in the morning and I want to drink wine, listening to crows singing in the pines. Couldn't be any more hipster if I tried. Tonight, I feel like Kafka, jealous of the birds. Everything up front today. I feel so busy even though I know I'm just wasting my time away inside of this apocalyptic sensation, and I know I'm not alone in that. If you want to talk, just reach out to me and I'll do my best to pull myself away from the whole lot of nothing I'm doing. It is the ween times, and that means it's time for scary stories. I'm going to do a different theme for each week. Without giving too much away, I'm going to jump in and not stop until I'm done. No outro, though, so thanks for coming. Now, pull up a chair, wrap yourself in a blanket, blow on the warm contents of your mug, and enjoy. When I was 13 years old, my family moved from Portland, Oregon, down to the rural land of southern Utah, where I presently reside. We moved for a wide variety of reasons, but the most prominent of them was the proximity of family. In fact, our first year here, we lived with my grandparents in their house up in the mountains some 30 minutes outside of town proper. It was a big house that they had built themselves with family in mind. You see, my dad is the second youngest of six siblings, and each sibling has a minimum of two kids. There were summers where everyone would pile into the house as comfortably as we could and spent the long days together as an extremely large family. But this wasn't summer. The house was now home to my immediate family living downstairs, as my grandparents lived above. Seven people may seem like a lot for one house, but like I said, the place was big, and the single-digit residence made the place feel lonely and secluded. Now, the basement of this house has a dozen stories of strange occurrences, and I'll get a few of them in this week, and probably more over the years to come. To help flush them all out, I'm going to do my best to describe the layout succinctly. When you first descend the stairs, you step immediately into a large play area that extends forward with enough space for a few ping-pong tables to fit comfortably. To the left, and wrapping against the stairs, you have the sitting area, undivided from the play area. To your right, you'll see a small nook with three doors and a hallway that hugs the other side of the stairs leading back to the old kitchen. The three rooms in the nook at the time were the rooms that my brother slept in, my parents' room, and the shared bathroom. Down the hall to the old kitchen, you'll find a set of double doors to your right that lead to the workshop. On the left, you'll find the kitchen flanked by two doors. The door on the left was my room, and the door on the right was food storage. The old kitchen itself had a table and chairs, as well as an old stove, fridge, and cabinets full of surplus cookware and cleaning supplies. Let's get to the story at hand. One night, my parents' brothers and I were settled in on the couch in the sitting area, watching a Gilligan's Island Marathon. My youngest brother was sick with some stomach bug, and being the weird kid he was, demanded to stay tuned to the black-and-white television classic. We didn't mind. It was after dinner, but not particularly late, and we had settled in for the long haul. We were maybe two episodes in when it happened. We had all been fixed on the screen, when suddenly, every one of us turned our heads to look at the nook with three doors. There wasn't a sound to alert us, no reason for us to turn and look, but we all did, and we all saw it. Something drifted slowly from my brother's room across the nook and into the bathroom. We turned back to the TV without making any mention of it, though as soon as the next commercial break hit, my middle brother broke the awkward silence. Did you see that? Yeah, we all saw it. A black shape, like the upper half of a body, complete with head, ribs, and maybe an arm. It looked like a large puff of black smoke, but with hard, bone-like shapes stuck inside. Or perhaps a disjointed skeletal mannequin that slowly drifted like a balloon between two open doors. That's when we freaked out. What was it? Was it still there? Why did we all turn to look? Why did we all see the same thing unless it was real? We looked in the bathroom but found nothing. We looked in all the rooms and all the basement and found nothing. Nothing that day, anyway. The longer we lived in that basement, the weirder it got. There were no doors to the outside from the basement. That's because it was mostly underground. For natural light, and as a way of emergency escape, there were window wells, pretty deep ones at that. Additionally, many of them had covers to prevent small animals from falling in and getting stuck. It didn't outright stop that from happening, but it was far less frequent after the covers were attached. We only spent one winter out there, and one of my favorite things to see was the snow piled into the window wells as it melted and froze and melted and froze... You could see the root-like systems of icicles form over days of this cycle. It also made this beautiful layer of ice on top that became this hard, glossy, candy shell, and when we got the oddly warm day after a week of cold, the heat from the house would melt the snow underneath of the shell faster than the candy coating, leaving behind a sheet that looked like a crystallized wave of water. I always wanted to jump down into the window well and pull out one of those frozen waves, but I wasn't allowed to go down there unless it was an emergency. During winter break, I believe it was specifically between Christmas Day and New Year's, I was asleep in my room, with the head of my bed against the only wall in my room with a window. There were curtains drawn to keep the light out, not that they were needed with how much snow was in the well. I woke up in a panic after hearing a loud thud against the glass. Then as I laid there, it happened again. A single thump striking the glass. I got out of bed, turned on the light, and drew back the curtain expecting to see a rabbit the usual culprit-slash-victim of the window well. But there was nothing but snow. I stared at the window a while, waiting to see if it happened again, but whatever it was that had made the sound was apparently gone. Odd, though, the snow was well and pristine. Anything that might have fallen in would have left an impression or a mark. I put the curtains back, turned the light off, and dozed off. An odd encounter I would probably have forgotten about if it didn't happen again the next night. I'm not sure if it was my imagination, but the initial thump that second night seemed louder than before. I didn't bother with the lights this time, I just threw the curtain open. There was enough light from the sky even at 3am for me to tell there was nothing out there. Thump. I jumped. I saw the window shake, but there was nothing out there. I dashed across the room and flicked on the light. Still nothing. I stayed up all night with the light on, playing my Game Boy, keeping the window in my line of sight just in case. At this point, it hadn't snowed in a few days, and my window well had been slowly emptying. In fact, by the third night of this event, there was only about a foot of snow left, and it was on this third and final night I saw what was causing the sound. I was expecting it. The lights were on, the snow was mostly gone, I was ready. I still jumped when the first thump shook the glass. I had convinced myself that it was being shaken by the house's constant settling as it battled between the warm interior and the freezing exterior. But there was something bugging me about the way the glass had moved the night before, and this thump confirmed it and drained the blood from my face. I felt the cold enter me as my body prepared its flight-or-fight response. The thud looked like somebody was pounding on the window from the outside, someone I couldn't see. I approached the window. I felt my hair rise into a standing position as fear pumped through my blood. I reached out and put my palm on the window. It was ice cold, and nothing was happening. As I reached away, it had left an obvious outline where the warmth of my hand had steamed the window. I wiped it away, but the handprint remained. Not the condensation from the outline, but the residual dirt and grease from my hand had left a smudge. I wiped it again, but couldn't get it to come off. I realized I couldn't get it off because... It was on the other side of the glass. Then I put my hand up against it as well, and it was smaller than my own. I froze. I didn't even draw a breath. For a moment I was so afraid of a simple handprint that I was locked in place. I know that print wasn't there the night before. I know it wasn't there the moment before I put my hand on the glass. Nothing could have crawled down there without disturbing the thin, glassy shell of re-melted ice. Especially not a person with the handprint nearly as large as my own. And even though the window never shook again in the same way, the faint remnants of that handprint remain on the window as a calcified watermark even to this day. My last story today takes place just outside of my basement room, in the old kitchen. As kids, when the torrent of cousins would flood the basement, we would set up an old TV on the counter and pull over some of the unused chairs and play the Nintendo 64 away from prying eyes of the parents who might not approve. We'd take turns between passing the controller and keeping watch on the stairs to make sure nobody was heading our way. If someone did head our way, we'd pause the game, turn off the TV, and bail into my room, which was practically a Scrooge McDuck vault of Lego. The youngest cousin capable of keeping lookout was often chosen as our go-to. We'll call him T. T was about five or six at the time of this event. We'd let him play a few rounds up front, then relegate him as our permanent eyes on the stairs. All we had to do was give him a walkie-talkie, and he felt perfectly capable. He did good work, and we never got busted. On one such occasion, T rang us on the walkie, letting us know someone was coming. We did our routine, pause and dive, build some Lego, and waited, but nobody came. We went out to check, and T said that somebody had come down the stairs and went down the hallway. We asked who, but T just shook his head. It was a big family, and for someone so young, we didn't expect him to remember every person there. So, with no parent in sight, we turned the tube back on and began again. A few moments later, T's voice sounded once more. She's back. We paused, we dove, we waited. And waited. Another false alarm. We popped out and checked again with T. At this point, we thought he was messing with us, but T was insistent that it was an old lady, not grandma. We dismissed him and headed back down the hall. But when we rounded the turn that led into the kitchen proper, the two of us in the front of the pack stopped cold. For a split second, we saw an old lady standing in the kitchen. But as soon as she saw us, it was like she just blinked out of existence. We turned to look at each other. The kids behind us just pushed past us to get to the controllers. We were still frozen in that moment of panic where you try to rationalize what you've seen. Did you see her? I asked my cousin in a whisper. Flower print church dress? He whispered back, blankly. I nodded. After that, we never got a false alarm again.